As young people, right, oftentimes, I'm gonna wake it up, right? We're called faggot before we're called nigga. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that faggot has so much impact and people don't recognize it. We have to be armored coming into this world. Yeah. And so because of that, we don't get a chance to actually be soft. Yeah. To be loved, yeah. to be loving to other people. Yeah. So oftentimes we are brash, right? We have to be because literally my employer is going to look at me sideways. So I know when I show up for an interview or, or all these things, right, we have to uh, code switch and we have to put on our armor, right, in order to get to our means yes. by any means necessary. Yes. And that is so true and relevant for queer people, black queer folk to yeah. be specific. Welcome to another episode of Stranger Fruits, y'all. This is Donovan. It is Pride Month, and we are giving you fresh conversation with some beautiful members of the LGBTQ community. It's a time to celebrate, but who would we be if we didn't also tackle the extreme anti-queer rhetoric that is flooding our timelines? Now, if you do not already know, Stranger Fruit is a one-of-a-kind video podcast experience where you get to be a fly on the wall as some of the most brilliant young voices from the black and brown diaspora bring you unfiltered, thought-provoking conversations. We discuss and debate an array of fascinating topics from politics and race to pop culture, media, and the issues close to our hearts. Now, even though we may not always agree, we are firm believers that conflict and compassion together are a great recipe for empathy. If you find yourself wanting to put a face to these names and voices, you can find us on YouTube in all our Technicolor glory. This episode is part one of a two-part series on queer safety. It is 2023 and we are still debating the humanity of queer people. It's a fucking shame. With more and more anti-LGBTQ bills being introduced, queer and black studies being banned, and an increase in violent crimes towards the queer community, it's giving early 1900s right now. We deserve better. So I asked some of my favorite superheroes to join me for this conversation. Special shout out to William, Queen Jean, Elijah Day, Eric, Juice, Isam, Charles, and my co-host Ileana for joining me for this conversation at our home studio at the Gentleman's Factory in Brooklyn, New York. All right, y'all, let's go. Thank you everybody for being here. So today, we had a lot of talk behind the scenes around what the queer community is going through right now. And for me specifically, I really wanted to give space for having an open conversation around the current climate. It really seems like the queer community is under attack by conservatives, but really just being queer has been under attack for a long time. And so we really wanted to ask the question if the queer community feels safe right now. And I want to start the conversation with Elijah Day. Um, well, interesting. So I do drag as well. So no, but out of drag, maybe most of the time, but recently in drag, no. There's this weird agenda trying to say that, I mean, most queer people, they always viewed us as perverts, sexual deviants, you know, mm -hmm. but now I personally think it's a distraction from the shootings in the, in the schools drag queens being a new political pawn is a distraction, but it scares me because motherfuckers are now showing up to like events, brunches, arms, and masks. Yeah. And so like I do a drag brunch and a kid showed up. I mean, they didn't show up randomly, 
the patron brought their daughter, even though it was a 21 event. And yes, it's a restaurant, anyone can eat. But I immediately became anxious because mm. oftentimes seeing a drag queen now in a picture, of course, you want that parent, want their kids to give the drag queen the dollar. That picture can go viral for all negative reasons. So now I'm getting death threats or hate because that kid shouldn't be here, even though that's the daughter of the owner of the restaurant. Or again, the parent made that choice to bring them. So, so that's the most recent form of unsafe that I'm experiencing. And even out of drag too, I'm androgynous. So the other experience I feel is if, what are you? And then it's the safety of, also people assume I'm a woman. So oftentimes when I speak, they're like, oh wait, you not. So then it's like, oh, you tricked me or what the fuck make your mind up. Or so it's that also that, okay, how am I going to be treated today? Or am I going to be mistreated when I go outside? Or even my neighbors, I come in many shapes and forms at my apartment. So yeah. they oftentimes it's not even eye contact. It's, oh, hi. Mm. And a dismissive, like I see you, but I don't see you or I want to acknowledge you. So. Yeah. Do you live around black people, mixed people? Like, yes. Your... And well, so where I live in New Jersey, I live near Seton Hall. So it's a lot of my neighbors are black, but one of them are. Everyone else is, I think, is a person of color, but everyone else are like white students because it's a college area. So my apartment built. So oh, a lot of, I, I live in a very middle class white area, college area. So ain't that many niggas, but mm -hmm. there are some for the school. But so that, that does kind of. And not saying that I'm more safe or feel more comfortable around white people, but with me, it's more or less not safe because sometimes race issues may come up. I don't want to walk to my house and they think I don't live there. Mm. Or also, I work not too far from where I live. So, you know, I try to keep my ID on me at my job because I work with white clients. And oftentimes, they assume that I'm a health aide or Ooh. I don't belong there with these white people helping them out. Because I work with clients with disabilities. So... That's the other weird thing is like being in this white area, you think, oh, because there's white people, you're safe. But no, because then now they're questioning my existence or why I'm there or doing those mm -hmm, things. So, mm -hmm. Thank you for that, because that is that is violence. But th but I, I was interested why I asked about who you were around, because I remember this was a long time ago. It's, it wasn't recent. But I remember when I was like feeling bold and I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear these purple skinny jeans. I'm going to wear these fucking like rain boots that were white. And I stepped out in that house. I made it out a block before somebody clowned the shit out of me. She's like, oh, you sexy. So you want to date him, huh? You want to date him? To like her homegirl asked to say, look at this dude with these purple ass jeans on. I turned around and he immediately went back home and changed. Oh, no. But I, but I, you know, I didn't have as, I'm not who I am now, right? Like I would boldly go out my house however I feel like now. But at that time, you know, safety was just always such a huge concern. And right now with this rise of conservatism, but let's alt-rightness, a lot of times we're like, okay, well, if we're in community with black folks, maybe it's not the same. So I was just trying to figure out, like, what is that like to actually be around white folks? Because they are the ones who right now are going to places and shooting up people no shade. I'm not to say that black folks don't, but specifically this more mass murder, going to protests outside of drag brunches and stuff like that are happening with a lot of white men who are going through an identity crisis. And I know that like first and foremost for them, it's about race. Mm. I know that it's like, ooh, my whiteness. Yeah. But I second, secondly, it's the gender thing. Like, they I, go so hard. Yeah. And, and I really, I realize that I'm like, how does that affect someone like you who's actually. I like, also a work at like a Jewish organization as well. So, like, a month ago, Newark, New Jersey issued a uh, safety warning because um, a, a synagogue got a threat. Mm. So, like, <laughs> that's another like thing we have to worry about too, like, because it is a, a Jewish. 
yeah. yeah. organization. So. so safety is like at the forefront of your lived right. experience. Like we just every day. had a gun safety drill and everything. That's so yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I think for me, being gay is unsafe. Being being black is unsafe. So being a black gay man, I'm constantly in a state of paranoia because I never feel safe. Mm. And I don't know which way you're going with it because you can go either way or you could be mad for both, which means I really have to be looking out for my environment and what's happening right. around me. But I've always been conscious of that as someone who has a feminine features. Like I have the hair. I have a lot going on. I have the hair. I like leather. Like I like dressing <laughs> and all that stuff, but it draws attention to me. And a lot of times for the wrong reason. And so I never felt safe in white spaces because I knew that my blackness was mm -hmm. a threat to them. In black spaces, I felt safe, but there was still a undertone of unsafe because I knew that the gay thing was a problem. And we were still working that out in our community. Right. So it's a constant state of having to always be on guard, at least for me, because I never know which way you're going to try to come at me from. Mm -hmm. That was in my experience growing up. And even now, like as an adult, as a confident black gay male, I still have to like look over my shoulder. I have to make sure I'm like watching what's happening. I have to read the room mm -hmm. when I walk in certain rooms, even like going out to clubs or going out to events. I have to read the room and see like who's giving me a little too much eye contact and why are you looking at me like that and what are you mm -hmm. saying to your homegirl? And, and it's tiring, but I mean, if I don't do it, who else is going to do it for me? I mean, facts. Yeah. Queen, I see you agreeing, do yeah, you? Yeah, honestly, it's something what you're sharing resonates and I'll, I'll take it a point uh, further. I honestly feel like uh, as black queer folks, right, and queer being all-encompassing, yeah. uh, trans folks, uh, yeah. gender non-conforming, you know, people have been uh, non-binary since before B. Scott, okay? Mm -hmm. People have always been queer, but I will say that in terms of safety uh, for myself in my generation, uh, I have never known a moment in our history where we felt safe. Mm. We've always existed in crisis, and to be quite honest, uh, to me, violence and safety wasn't afforded to us. We didn't feel safe at church growing up. No. We didn't feel safe at schools, uh, in any places where, uh, even like after school programs or any of those things, I think as folks who uh, show up and are manifested or deemed visibly queer, visibly different, visibly othered, safety is not something that you are afforded. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a community at large, because we know this, we just had to do, make do. Uh, we just have to exist within these confines. And to be honest, I'm sick and fed of it. I'm tired mm. of having to feel anxious. I would say, to be honest, the moments where I, I feel alive is when I'm around community. Mm -hmm. It's when I'm in literally cultivated spaces that are intended for us to have peace, mm -hmm. for us to feel like we have a sense of sanctuary, which honestly is very hard to find mm -hmm. and to sustain. Because mm -hmm. as we know, literally, I mean, this is really kind of affirming to, to be around so many folks in community who live out loud, but there are people who may not have the capacity to live out loud, mm -hmm. the resources to live out loud. Um, and so I often think about them as well because they're just trying to live, but truly the other forces that are stacked up against them truly make it honestly unsafe. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, 100%. You know, even recently on the Stranger Fruits Instagram page and like some other place, we put up a post and we put up a post that was speaking about, I think it was, was it colorism? Yes. It was colorism, yeah. about colorism. And forget the colorism shit. Everybody couldn't wait to talk about who are these gay people have in this conversation, you know? And it became all about queerness and the commentary, like the the. See, like for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you like this. Like, there are certain times where it's just like you got to tell somebody to shut the fuck up. I think as queer people, like a lot of times, I'm like, there's nothing that you can say that could hurt my feelings. The motherfucker who could hurt my feelings has not been born yet. But I am not going to allow you to bully 
either. Yeah. You know, the read game and the cuss out game is strong. I grew up in the hood. So much so with the violence that you're talking about, I talk about this often, but even thinking to myself, I have to learn how to fight. Yeah. I have to learn how to fight because I am out here in these streets and I know these motherfuckers aren't fucking with me. I know they're not because it's everywhere. It's in the music. Mm-hmm. It's what they say when they're passing by me in the street. Even if they're not talking about me, I hear this shit. It's all around. It's all over the place. And then at that time in the 90s coming up, it was reaffirmed in the media where like it was like over and over and over again. All of these years later on Instagram, people are coming out with the same shit. It's like, yo, like when are we going to evolve and when are we going to get to the next step? I firmly believe that Black folks in particular, people who identify as other as others who, who play in the margins of society fight for privilege. And this is one of the easiest ways to feel powerful, to really just try to alienate queer people in particular and, and like not give a two fucks about trying to even understand. Mm. You know what I mean? So I really appreciate the fact, Queen, that you said that you feel affirmed in these kinds of spaces because I know for a lot of us, even to get to a point where, like you said, to feel safe enough to be, to live out loud, it took a lot. A lot of us had to lose family. Mm-hmm. A lot of us had to lose shelter. We did not have the privilege of being able to say like, oh, shit, I got kicked out of my house. I, got, I can go live with somebody else. There are a lot of queer people who commit suicide. This is not just a happenstance. This is like actual humanity that's on the line. Okay, listen, let me tell y'all. The whole reason we do this show is to build empathy. And over many, many years, I have discovered that people have an overwhelming hate or indifference to queer people, which feeds apathy. And that's the last thing we need right now. Check this out. LGBTQIA people have twice the rates of depression as heterosexuals. Suicide is a leading cause of death for queer people between the ages of 10 to 24. In fact, LGBTQIA youth are five times more likely to die by suicide. We should not accept stats like this. If you are listening to this right now, this should concern you. Whether you are straight, queer, or anything in between, you should be outraged. And if you are not, I challenge you with the question, why aren't you? Now, some people think that it's all rainbows and butterflies within the queer community, but you'd be surprised. Let's pick back up with William getting into the need for solidarity within the LGBTQ community. And I know, brother, for you, like, this is William, by the way, I call you brother. (laughs) But how has it been for you? Because I know, like, you grew up with, raised by men, right? And as a queer man, how has your experience with safety been and how do you feel now? So even to like connect these these things, I think when it comes to the safety of queer people, that's always been into question. But I will say I, I do feel safer because the community has gotten stronger. And I think that's where my safety lies now because before it was outside of everybody else treating me bad and me not having a place to be or belong to in that, right? So where are my people? Because I know I'm getting it. But where are my people? So that's what makes me feel unsafe. I feel a lot more safer in the community because now I identify who has my back, who those people are. And within the queer community in general, I can't help but bring up the the divisiveness that lives in there and the violence that lives in the queer community when we ostracize those other people now that we have more labels, now that we have more identities, right? And now it's like, oh, well, I was just gay and now you're bringing all this other shit. That's to the true. Side. People say This that. is weird, right? So I, I even think about 10 years ago where a lot of gay folk, black gay folk weren't fucking with trans people like that. It was very like, you stay over there, I stay over here. 
Lesbians too. Like Lesbians too. It, it still is like that, but what I will say is that I've seen more rally behind trans people because just like we say, dismantling all of these systems, you have to go to the bottom. And unfortunately, black trans women are at the bottom. And I know that if my community, if I want to feel safe, that I have to help the bottom, right? So I think that is where now I'm seeing a little bit more safety, but I think it's a more like, we are saving ourselves. We are creating the safety net outside of what the fuck is already going on. Mm-hmm. What That's you were really talking about is the proximity. We always talk about the proximity to whiteness, but we don't talk about, well, of course, they're not going to talk about it because you're straight. But gay people don't talk about the proximity to straightness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about proximity it. Proximity to you. whiteness, proximity to straightness. So just like in, in the black community, we have these hierarchies that happen where, you know, lighter skinned people are closer to whiteness. You know, this closer to whiteness. This Everybody's trying to be closer to whiteness, so they don't want to fuck with somebody that's, that's underneath them in the totem pole because it's like, you're pulling me down here where I'm trying to like get as close to this as I can because I know I can never be this. It's the same thing with straightness. That's why a lot of you see a lot of um, queer community, like it starts with like the masculine men that don't fuck with feminine men. And then it's now none of these people uh, fuck with the trans people. And then it just, it just exactly. goes down the hierarchy because everybody's trying to be as close to straightness as they can be without being there because they feel like that's where they'll be at their safest point. And that's such a mind fuck because it's just like, you're just trying to scramble for something, right? You're dumped into this place where you already have nothing, and now you have to figure out where you belong in it all, and it's all rooted in trauma. So again, especially when you think about queerness, now a lot more people are out. It's trendy, right? You have people, more so like white people, waving the flags, but it wasn't like that. And I think there was a lot of trauma and a lot of people trying to figure out who the fuck they were in the midst of trying to feel safe and not getting killed, and still like, I have to belong here, I'm gonna have to work, I'm gonna have... So where do I where do I find myself? And it becomes like a mind fuck. It becomes confusing because it's layered, layered trauma, layered things that are that become layered on top of just existing, right? Mm-hmm. To add on, like you proximity to straightness is also again based in white heteronormativity, because mm-hmm. essentially white supremacy is the basis of patriarchy. And again, us queer black men are trying to subscribe to something again that was never made for black mm-hmm. people, let alone queer black people in mind. So again, it's like chasing something you can never ever reach. But this um, black gay men are still sexist, misogynistic, and transphobic the same way black cis hetero men can be. And most of us, not all of us, are still trying to, what I call that white penis envy. Being able to get away with things that white men get away with, but in reality, we can't, we know this. But the, oh, go on, sorry. Go ahead, Charles. But with juice and sodium, which y'all were saying really, hit me and I've been a little bit emotional here like listening to everybody because it's crazy how we have very similar experiences well it's not crazy because it's really understandable but I think for myself growing up as a queer person I'm in an archetype where I can pass as straight I can if I put on the right clothes if I walk you know however whatever keeping that voice then I can pass as okay. someone who's straight and I didn't realize just how privilege that was until I stepped into spaces in college where it was more queer spaces and they were like starting to, oh yeah, we want to have, you know, allies. And they didn't think that I was a part of the community. And I was like, oh, wait, what is this? Hmm. What does this mean? What are you seeing me as? And how am I stepping in, in these spaces where the archetype of who I am is triggering to someone else because someone that looked like me, someone who has the same bill, enacted violence on our queer and trans sisters. Mm. And so I think that is really important, like you were saying, for people who, especially Black queer men, who are cis men, 
to understand the privilege that we have and to yeah. lend a hand and to be more vocal and to be more affirming to our trans sisters and our binary brothers and sisters. It's in our liberation as well. Exactly, exactly. And I live in Atlanta right now, so I'm in a space where I'm also in ballroom. So I'm in a space where it's nothing but queer folks loving mm. on each other and affirming one another. And even though there are some issues with ballroom culture, of course, <laughs> it's I feel safe the safest I've ever felt in those spaces. And that's because it was cultivated for us, by us. And I think that if we were able to to take the, what we've built in ballroom culture and in queer culture in sort of, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Like Like disseminate that out Mm -hmm. through our friends and family that we know and they are able then to see our humanity because I think that at its basis, if people were able to see that we are human, we are human first and foremost, then we'll be able to actually live in this world in safety and yeah. in care. I just think I just think there's Go something ahead. missing from the conversation though too, because for me, I've always been out and not necessarily of me coming out though, but I had parents where I was just being myself. So there was never a space where I felt like I was ever acting different or I was outside of somebody else. And my dad comes from the hood of Gary, Indiana. So it's not like this is something that just randomly came out of nowhere, though. But he did have a queer cousin that at a time he saw him grow up, do certain things or whatever. And it was never talked about, but he respected that person. That's the person that he actually cared about a lot. Mm-hmm. He was killed because he was gay, but I think me coming up I was way more sheltered than I probably needed to be. So I lived in this world of a bubble of me just being myself. I had no recollection of what queerness was exactly. So most of my time I was hanging out with a lot of straight people because it was just, we had the same interests. We liked to do the same things. Yeah. And I also grew up in Texas. So like the, here in New York City is different. Everyone in the queer community is amongst the creative world. Everything is engulfed, mixed in together. That's not the same in the South all the time. Mm-hmm. So like queer identities are here. If I'm creative, then I might be over here. And that's mainly saturated with a lot of, you know, hetero people though. But I like being there because we enjoy the same stuff. I think for me, even trying to find a way to integrate into queer life, that was very hard for me. Because one, I didn't have that many queer friends. I didn't understand what that looked like as a whole. I was looked at as different because I acted in a certain way that people didn't really understand because I was just being myself. I didn't really identify but a lot of things that other queer people were going through. You know, I wasn't thrown out of my house. I wasn't kicked out. You know, I had parental issues, of course, but these are not things that I had to think about and do. I wasn't even experiencing, I guess, queer violence, maybe until I got to college, because then you're dealing with a a lot of different people that are not from where you're from. Mm -hmm. I think, but I think it's also just a way of, there's a lot of things that are not out there, especially in the 80s and 90s. I didn't see me. Mm-hmm. I didn't start seeing myself on TV probably until the 2000s, maybe, mm-hmm. I think. So I think there needs to be an understanding of that you might act in a certain way or there might be a proximity to straightness because there are certain people who have been sheltered enough to be in some world of a bubble that you didn't even understand what violence was. I didn't even understand what racism was and I was living in the South because I was so in, a bubble. in this bubble. I didn't hear nothing until I think my mom picked me up from middle school and some white people drove down and called my mom the N-word along with bitch. And Literally my first time ever hearing that word before. And the only thing I heard her do was like laugh. But that's because she dealt with it all her life. Mm. Though, but it's something that I never like physically seen. Like I knew something was there, but like, so I think there's need to be an understanding of like, there's some ignorance to certain things 
there's certain ways of being proximity to certain things because you just didn't, you weren't, your mind wasn't opened up to all this other stuff. And then now you have to figure out what your identity is. And now you have to figure out what you look like within this community that they look like to, they're together, but that's because all the things that they have, their trauma was the same. Their ideals were the same. I'm coming into a space where I didn't really feel like I connected with all those people. So most of the time, I struggled a lot trying to figure out what queerness looked like for me. Was I supposed to look like this? Am I supposed to be doing this now? What is this supposed to be like? And then you start getting into the world. And now you're getting queer violence and you're like, well, fuck, I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck I am now. You, yes. And I don't even know if I fit here. Do I fit here? What does this look like as a whole, though, too? So I just think that that, needs, that kind of mindset needs to be... Yeah, that you nuance, know, that, that, that yeah. nuanced perspective of like even our exposure and what happens when we're exposed to queerness, even if you are a part of the community. Right. Because I think like that's an interesting, I kind of went through something very similarly. Like it was like, how do I fit into this space? <laughs> like I'm not, because, and at, at that time, I'm interested to hear what you have to say to Isam. We're going to go to you next, but I know like growing up in New York in particular, it was kind of like the, it was homo thug era. Um, sorry, like, I don't know what else to call it. B-Boy Blues, homo thug era. It was like a thing, and I was not that. I was not that. So even at that time, right? Like, you know, like, oh, because, you know, out here in New York, we have the pier and you know, over at Christopher Street. And it was a place that a lot of, like, young, gay, queer, trans folks used to go just to build community with one another. And I remember just, like, going there and just, like, having this, like, trepidation. Like, what is going to happen? Like... Am I going to meet somebody? Are these people going to like me? It was all of that. I think it's a part of the experience. What I think is interesting is like how privilege comes into play. Yeah. Because privilege can determine how you're accepted. It, it, can, it can also play into like how much people put, make you do work in terms of like acquiring friendships, whether or not people flock to you. Right. So I think that that's interesting. Yes, exactly. I would love to hear from you. Oh, we'll come to you next, Queen. I would love to hear from you, Issam, about like your experience about like stepping into your queerness, safety, and like how you fit into the well, community. My queerness stepped into me long before I stepped into it. Okay. And so I was being called gay long before I knew what it was. Right, so right. Stepping into that when I realized who I was was a challenge because I didn't have the safety of anyone vouching for me or supporting me in that kind of way. Mm. It was the conversation that was never to be had. And so whenever I did speak on things that affected me, it was like, well, it's not true, so don't talk about it. It's not happening. And I'm like, but it is happening. And like, you know, physically being attacked because people are like, you're gay, you're gay, we're gonna, we're gonna beat you up, right? Mm -hmm. And so like wow. navigating that and not having spaces to go to, like, you know, like when I was in middle school, that's the early 90s, right? Mm -hmm. So like, there were no like gay clubs, like, I mean, like, school clubs. There oh. were no, like... Right. After school, LGBTQ yeah. plus club. Yeah, there was none of that for me. So it was, like, hard to find that. So when I eventually found that way, to me, I always felt the responsibility to look back and like, exactly. if I see someone, like, let me create a space for myself yeah. and for my people. Like, too many times I found safety in isolation. Yeah. Mm. And, like, in a routine and going, I know where I can go. I can't maybe not go there. Yeah. So let me figure that out. So a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't really until I went to Florida. You know, there was some safety in New York after a while. It was like, okay, yeah. I can go this spot, I can go this spot, and I could be gay and nobody will bother me, right? But when I went to Florida, <sighs> and there were picketers, mm -hmm. I was going to burn in hell, like, mm -hmm. meeting me at every door. You'll like, get used to it. 
This was different for me, right? Yeah. You know, I, I was used to seeing it one way. Yeah. It was a whole other way that was yes, direct so and in your face where everything else before was like underhanded and mm-hmm. cutting in another okay. way. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, I'm just glad that people have more options today. Yeah. And that there are platforms like this that lift our voices yeah. up and create a safe space for us because there are too many that people can find comfort in. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I learned in the club. You said you go to the club? I learned in the club. Uh, I didn't have no, a lot of, you know, I'm from Delaware. There wasn't a lot of gay, like, there's no gay. I don't think there's, I think there's one gay bar in Delaware that I just discovered in my 30s. Um, but there there wasn't no, like, gay alliance at school. There was oh, none of that. All there was, there was, like, none of that. All there was was TV. And then I was in the clubs at 16, and I was learning from the older people that was in the clubs and was teaching me the do's and don'ts and don't do this and don't do that, mm. which is actually very, very dangerous because it only took, it only would have taken for me to run into the wrong, but luckily I ran into the right people on that path. So I learned a lot and then I started picking up my own like street smarts. But I mean, I've seen people go down the wrong path, but how do you blame them? There was nobody to talk to. Yes. They were literally talking to anybody that was reaching out their hand, and everybody doesn't reach their hand out. With grace and love. No, right? not at all. But when you're struggling, you're just gra- you just need a hand anything. at this point. And you and you and you'll grab it. So and you'll, you'll grab, grab it, not even knowing that you're to... putting yourself in more danger. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's so funny because Will and I were talking about this recently, about like, you know, what I consider a part of the violence out of our community is that once you get to a certain age as a queer person, as a gay person, it's almost like you disappear. Right? Like we had this conversation, like, where what happens yeah. mm-hmm. to people when they get where are I can't find you no place? And I think it's a couple of things. One is that you may say to yourself, okay, I'm a certain age, I'm not gonna go to the clubs anymore right now, I'm not feeling my knees ain't doing that. And then outside of that, it's almost like you go back to your early 20s or your late teens of trying to find out what, like, well, what's next? Is it just like kick back with the homies? You hope that you would have some, right? God forbid you move to a new town. How do you meet people? How do you find mentorship? How do you find other people in the community who have found success, romantic success, or just a way to just like be or have a great career? Because like one of the things that I think that we often forget about this pipeline and knowing how we can see ourselves in the future is economic violence, uh, specifically against queer people. And this is something that my, my cousin Drea was talking about. She couldn't make it on the show. But she was like, oh my gosh, and I really want to talk about economic violence. I was like, well, tell me the tea. I'll tell the people the tea. <laughs> and essentially what she was saying is that as a trans woman, it could be so difficult for her to be able to find a job, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So to be able to find a job and like how that there's a pipeline there for a type of violence that is not as overt as physical violence or hearing something about oh, this person was killed. No, the type of violence that says you don't get to have a career, you don't get to be able to feed yourself. Laws. Laws, exactly. So you can't be yourself. Discrimination. Discrimination, housing discrimination, like lots of different things that are just so violent and so prevalent that we don't often talk about. Y'all, listen, physical violence is awful. And if we're being honest, it's way too normalized in our society. The DHS reported that 20% of all hate crimes that were reported in the U.S. in 2021 were motivated by bias linked to sexual orientation and gender. This number is abysmal and so are the numbers around economic violence. According to a 2022 survey done by CAP and NORC, 50% of LGBTQAI adults experience workspace discrimination or harassment because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. 
trans respondents were also more likely to be working part-time than their cisgender counterparts. So, these numbers show that while queer people have access to work, man-made obstacles continue to impact our ability to provide for ourselves. This is even more true for the trans community at a time when trans rights are being attacked with over 500 bills on the table to take away their rights, 83 of which have already been passed. It's important to understand that if they are doing this to trans people today, they will do it to the next vulnerable group tomorrow. We have to wake up. Now let's get back to Queen who gives us a real ass breakdown of what the queer experience can feel like. Queen, I'm interested to know, do you feel represented? Do you feel seen? Like we have folks like Laverne Cox, we have yeah. Janet Mock, we, it's amazing, it's yeah. great. But do you still feel seen? I'm talking about within the community and out. Yeah, that's where, I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, do I feel seen? I mean, I feel seen because I see myself. Point blank, period. Amen. I mean, honestly, I think that for a long time, and I, I wanted to circle back because yeah. um, I, I loved what you said about this idea of desirability, but I'll take it a step further. I mean, to me, it also feels about this thing, this notion of a validation, yeah. right? And to me, the validation starts literally from the very, very beginning. As Black people, as Black young men, Black queer women, all these, you know, we have to be valid, right? And oftentimes you learn that kind of um, rhetoric, right, in the barbershop. So to me, safety, literally, I mean, we're learning even in this setting, right, that it's supposed to be about upbringing, uh, history, ritual, a touchstone in our, our community, right, uh, uh, oasis, that it's not only about grooming, but it's about culture, it's about yeah. learning, it's about learning to become a young person in, in this world, uh, to be a thinker, to be an intellect, to be an artist, whoever you are. But literally, I can speak for the version of myself as a young person, right, feeling completely terrified going into those spaces, whether or not I wanted to shape up a lineup, but I always was this, right? I, I've never been not queen. So even as a young person, it's always been queen, but showing up in that space to sit in that barber chair, it was terrifying. Yeah. And that safety, literally, we don't know what that safety is. And I would, just to circle back, but as young people, right, oftentimes, I'm gonna wake it up, right? We're called faggot before we're called nigga. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that faggot has so much impact and people don't recognize it. Until like literally you're now in a relationship and it's like, oh, this is destructive, right? You don't actually have experiences or practices of love or things that have actually shaped and molded you to be the young person that you are or who you will become. Mm -hmm. and, and I often feel as young queer people, right? I love what you said about isolation, right? Growing and learning in isolation. And it's in that moment that we are the most unsafe. I don't know how many young people I know, right? Who literally have navigated through chats, websites, portals, uh, uh, different ways for them to actually uh, be seen, different ways for them to connect to other queer people because they can't openly do it in school. Right. I, I, can, I mean, if I grew up in a, a school, you know, where, where, you know, the like the queer boys were on, you know, what's the little thing called? Like the little seesaw, whatever it was. <laughs> but like if we could have existed without it being polarizing, without it actually being destructive, yeah. right? I, we would not have this uh, this notion of of safety mm -hmm. um, for us to to always have to to be armored mm -hmm. as queer people. We have to be armored coming into this world, yeah. and so because of that, we don't get a chance to actually be soft, yeah. to be loved, yeah. to be loving to other people. Yeah. So oftentimes we are brash. Right, we have to be because literally my employer is gonna look at me sideways. So I know when I show up for an interview or, or all these things, right? We have to uh, code switch and we have to put on our armor, right, in order to get to our means yes. by any means necessary. Yes. And that is so true and relevant for queer people, black 
queer folk, to yeah. be specific. And to your point, whether I see myself, I see myself as a queen. What I will also say is that I think within the last five to 10 years, we're in an era of awakening, yeah. right? Where trans people aren't just the thing that we talk about, right? No, trans people are our family. We have cousins that are trans, we have sisters that are trans, we have mothers that are trans that we don't always acknowledge. We have caretakers that are trans that we do not give the reverence that they deserve. Yeah. And so I would say that for me, it's changing. But as we know, change takes so long and it, a day. It does, it does. Too damn long, it seems. Believe it or not, this conversation is just getting started. Part two is even better. We get into overcoming hate, the power of the queer community, and how we've learned to stay safe in a hostile world. Thanks so much, y'all, for being with us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at The Stranger Fruit and let us know what you thought of today's conversation because we love to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, show us some love by leaving a five-star review and get us in good favor with the algorithm guides. Until next time, y'all, be kind, be curious, and be fruitful. Peace. <laughs>